You know, everyone loves a good story, don't we? You know, one where you just kind of get lost in what's being said. You kind of find yourself in the pages or in the words of somebody's talking. Everybody loves a good story. And you know, when you tell stories to kids, for kids, it's not just enough to hear the story or to read the story. Oftentimes they want to be a part of the story. You know, that's so much more exciting. And, you know, when my kids were little, my girls especially, uh, they were always creating their own stories. Uh, They would put on these dresses and these dresses would become these elegant gowns and they'd be transformed to these wonderful princesses. And they'd build these forts out of like cardboard and sheets and everything. And they'd be these extravagant castles and their dolls would become damsels in distress that were always in need of their attention and their rescue or something. And Pierce, uh, he was a toddler and he had his own role to play. He was invited into the story. He was always the prince and he was the renegade prince, you know, because he would never do what the princesses wanted him to do. He's always doing his own thing. And Steph and I were invited into the story just to watch. And so, hey, come watch, watch this happen. And we'd watch and we'd just enjoy watching as they told their whimsical tales and were invited into it because everybody loves a story. It's the power of story. Well, as we're working through the gospel of Mark, we've reached this point very quickly in Mark's gospel where we see that the crowds of people are just enthralled by Jesus. They're amazed by Jesus. They love Jesus. They can't get enough of Jesus. And so they're crowding around in houses and they're coming to him wherever he is and they want to be around Jesus. But at the same time, we've also reached very, very quickly in Mark's gospel that the religious leaders of the day, they cannot control Jesus, and so they're done with him, right? They're already conspiring with enemies and everything. How are we going to kill Jesus? How are we going to destroy him? We can't, we can't let him hang around here. And they're bringing now charges against Jesus. Hey, everything you, he's doing, you think it's so impressive? It's because he's demon-possessed. He's satanically empowered. This is how he's doing what he's doing. And so all these charges are being made against Jesus. And so because of this, it's going to start this very shift in Jesus' ministry. So you notice this real change that takes place at the end of uh, chapter three, beginning of chapter four. At this time, Jesus, he's, he's not going to uh, primarily preach in synagogues anymore. Now it's mainly gonna be in the great outdoors. Most of his messages from this point on are gonna be outside. And it's also gonna mark a change in which the way he teaches, because it's no longer gonna be just standing up and giving these messages No, now for the most part, he's going to teach in stories. He's going to teach in parables. That's what a parable is. A parable is just a real-to-life story where you hear it and you say, yep, that could happen. That's how life works. That's just real life. That's what a parable is. And so when Jesus tells these parables, he always tells them for one of two reasons. And the reasons are there's either a question for which the parable is going to be an answer or there's a problem for which the parable is going to be a solution. So whenever you're reading a parable in the Gospels and you hear Jesus tell a parable, that's the question that we should have in our minds. Okay, what's the question that Jesus is answering in this parable? Or what's the problem that this parable is the solution? Okay, and Jesus, being the master storyteller that he is, well, he just grabs the minds and the hearts of the people through these stories that they can't wait to listen and can't wait to hear. Now, the interesting thing is, in Mark's gospel, you really only get about half dozen parables, okay? It's interesting. Mark tells us that, hey, Jesus came to preach. This is why he's here. He came to preach. 
But when you follow through Mark's gospel, you don't get a whole lot of Jesus preaching. What you mainly get is what Jesus is doing and how he's serving because Mark presents Jesus as the model servant for how he spends his life. That's how we should spend ours. So he only gives us about a half dozen of the about 40 parables that Jesus told that we have recorded for us. Uh, You don't get any in John's gospel, but of the synoptic gospels, the similar gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get way more of the parables in Matthew and Luke. But this morning, there's a very real reason why this parable is told. It's the only parable that you'll find Oh, I take that back. It's one of a few, uh, very few parables that you'll find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because it is a foundational parable. And just as it captured the hearts and the minds of the people in that day, I pray that it captures our hearts and minds this day. Let's go ahead, check it out. Mark chapter four, verses one through 25. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil and when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn away and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear. Satan immediately comes and takes it away, so the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns, They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So at this point, the crowds are thick, right? There's just so many. You get the idea that they're almost shoulder to shoulder as they're following Jesus. So much so in this section 
that Jesus has to get on a fishing boat. Okay? He's using a fishing boat for his podium to teach the masses. And he begins with these parables. And the first thing he says is, listen, behold. He's saying, wake up. I want you to pay attention. I want you to get this. Pay careful attention to what I'm about to say. And I love this about Jesus. Because so often the way Jesus teaches, it's through parables. It's through these stories. It's also through questions. You know, he'll be asked a question. And oftentimes it's not a direct answer. It's just a question right back to you. Why? Because Jesus wants us to go through the mental sweat of actually thinking. He wants us to wrestle with this truth. Okay, what is the meaning of this story? How would I respond to that question? Why? Because when you wrestle with something, there's a greater depth of understanding, right? I mean, someone can tell you something, and that can be helpful, but when you've actually put in the mental sweat to actually study through God's word and ask these penetrating questions, what is God talking about? How does this apply? What does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about humanity? What does it tell me about sin? What does it tell me about life? There's this joy of self-discovery that happens, and that truth tends to be much more internalized and much more productive, and, and it yields something greater far often. And so Jesus, he wants his people to have this depth of understanding, this depth of knowledge, this depth of wisdom, and so he's inviting them to really think, to really ponder, to really consider. And that's what's happening here. The, the disciples, they hear the story, the crowds hear the story, and they don't really get it, do they, right off? They're, they're kind of like looking at each other, man, that was a great story. What did it mean? You know, so when Jesus gets alone, they're asking him these questions, and Jesus says, you guys don't get it. You guys don't understand why I told this story. And then he says something interesting. If you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand any of them? Because you understand, this parable is a foundational parable to understanding it all. And we'll get to that in a little bit. It actually hints at the meaning of the parable. And this section ends with Jesus saying, hey, nobody brings a lamp into a dark house just to put it under a bed or under a bowl or something like that, right? If you have a dark house and you bring a lamp in, you put it on a stand, right? So it gives light to the whole house. It just makes sense of what you do with lamps. And he's saying the same, the same thing is true here that the light is meant to shine, that my word is meant to go forth. Knowledge is meant to be fully understood, knowledge about the kingdom. You know, that which is secret, it's meant to be brought to light. It's meant to be made manifest. I want you to get this, but to get it, you've got to wrestle with it. He who has ears to hear, let him listen. Let him consider. You know, it's one thing to hear. It's another thing to listen, you know? You can hear something and not really even pay any attention to what was said. You heard it, but it's almost like in one ear, right out the other. But when you really listen, you give someone your attention or something your attention, you're really listening, well, then you pay a greater deal of attention and it leads to more understanding. And Jesus is saying, if you really will listen, you will get this. And with the measure that you use, it will be given to you. But if you're not going to spend any time on it, it's going to mean nothing. You're not going to get any of it, and even what you have will be taken away. And this is interesting because the same thing is true today, right? There are people who they open up God's word and they devour it. I mean, they study it and they pray through it and they're asking questions through it and they just crave it. Lord, teach me through your word. And what happens? 
Life-changing, life-transforming, life-directing wisdom is gleaned through God's word. And there are other people, they'll open up the same passage, they'll say, that was interesting. Have no idea what it means. Next. And you just move right on. And then God's word has none of the life-changing, life-directing, life-giving power that it is intended to have because you didn't put in the middle sweat to really understand it. Jesus said, with the measure you use, you'll understand. But you have to put in the mental sweat. See, Jesus, he's very serious about his kingdom. And if you're not, the scriptures aren't going to have the impact that they're designed to have. But if you are serious about his kingdom as well, then his word will have life-directing, life-giving, life-empowering power in your life. And that hints at the meaning of all this. So why does Jesus talk in parables? He tells us, because I want to reveal the kingdom truth to you. Your kingdom citizens, you should know what the kingdom's going to be like. But to those who aren't kingdom citizens, they don't need to know. So I'm concealing the truth from them. This, and we look at that, and at first it's like, Jesus, why couldn't you just like spit it out there plainly? I mean, just tell people how it is so they could understand too, and maybe that, that would do something in them. No, this is an act of love and grace by Jesus, not to give them even more information about kingdom life, because these aren't kingdom citizens. And so then they're going to be responsible for all this knowledge too. It invites greater judgment upon them. So Jesus, in his grace and in his love, he conceals truth about the kingdom from those who are not kingdom citizens. Now, understand, the gospel is never hidden in parables. Jesus is very clear as he preaches, repent and believe. It's very clear. He, he points to himself as the Messiah. Nobody's missing it. You know, the, the religious leaders aren't wondering, is he calling himself God? No, they're upset because he is calling himself God, right? It, the gospel's not hidden. The good news of Jesus is freely shared, and we'll see that even in this parable. But aspects about kingdom life, well, that is meant for kingdom citizens. One day it's gonna shine, everybody will get it. But for now, based on his love and his grace, he gives it simply to kingdom citizens. So, Jesus tells this parable. It's an interesting parable in an agrarian society, an agricultural society. Everybody would have been drawn in. They would have known just what Jesus is talking about. They would have gotten it all. And he, he tells this story. Hey, there's a farmer, there's a sower, and he's out there sowing seed. In those days, there were two primary ways that you would sow seed. You'd either just take it out of your sack and throw it, or you'd put a sack on like the back of a donkey and cut a hole in the bottom of it. And as it jostled around, you know, walked around, seed would just kind of fall out. It's not like today where we have all the nice equipment and you get all the straight rows and everything like that. This wasn't like that. You're just throwing it out there. And so this farmer, he's out there and he's throwing it. Seems almost like a careless farmer, you know? I mean, because he's throwing seed everywhere. It's, it's along the path. I mean, this is the, this is the, this is the, oh, it's almost like cement, the path that the farmers are walking every day. It's really hard. He's like, you know, farmer, man, you're just like wasting seed, throwing it there. What are you doing that for? And this guy, and he sees some rocky soil over here. There's rocks all in it, and he's throwing it there. And he's throwing it in the weeds and all this, and he's throwing it. There's some that lands on good soil, and it's producing stuff. But the other stuff, I mean, the birds are coming, they're eating it. 
the, the rocky path. It can't go deep. So as soon as the sun comes up, it scorches it. There's no root there. It just goes away. And those in the thorns and then the weeds and everything it just gets choked out. There's nothing happening there. And so it's interesting. And everybody's saying, that was a cool story. That's how life works, you know? That's how, that's how it works out on the farm. That's the it, but what in the world does it mean to us? I mean, are we supposed to get something from this, Jesus? Like, how, how does this relate to us, to who you are, to life? And they're confused. And Jesus is saying, if you don't understand this, you're not going to get any of it. See, why is Jesus telling this parable? That's what we're always at. What is the question for which this parable is the answer? And in Luke's gospel, it's much more clear. But in Mark's gospel, it might not be as obvious. But here's what's happening. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they've come together, right? And they've said everything Jesus is doing is because he's satanically empowered. He's demon-possessed. That's why all this is happening. And you know what that's going to cause in just the hearts and minds of people who are like listening Jesus' message? It's like, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, how come even like the religious leaders, they can't recognize you for who you are? How come people aren't getting it? You know, I would think if you're the Messiah, the long way to Messiah, surely our, our religious leaders would recognize this. They would point us to you. How come this is, how, how come they don't get it? Can we really trust that you're the Messiah? And so, this parable is told to show why is there unbelief? What are the responses to the kingdom message? That's why the parable is told. And then ultimately, what is the right response to the kingdom message? That's the question he's answering. What's the right response to the kingdom message? And what's going on with these other responses to the kingdom? And so he wants, and we see just the love and care of Jesus toward his disciples because he wants them to get it. And so when they're alone, it's quiet. He says, let, let me explain this to you. Let me show you what's happening. He says, here's what's happening. This farmer in his extravagance, in his goodness, this farmer who represents God, he is proclaiming the good news of his kingdom to everybody. Even these hard paths where you look at, why waste your seed there? These people, they're so dark, they're so hard, they're so evil. Why, why are you even going to waste your time? The farmer throws the seed there. What happens? Birds come and eat it. And what does that represent? It represents Satan coming and taking the word and not allowing them to understand. And Jesus said, some people, they're going to reject the gospel. They're not going to believe because their minds are already made up. Say, we're good. Life's fine. I know how life ought to be lived. I know the purpose of life. I'm not even paying attention. I don't need to ask questions. I don't need to wrestle with this. They're not, it's not like they're even struggling with it. Well, maybe Jesus is in No, they've made up their minds. This is obvious. And so Jesus is saying they do not believe because of satanic intervention. It's interesting. Those who claim that Jesus is satanically empowered Jesus is saying they don't believe because of satanic intervention. And then you got the next soil. Some falls into the rocks. Now, in Galilee, you need to understand where Jesus is telling this parable, all the soil was rocky, okay? It's all, it's all, it's all rocky, pretty much. It's limestone throughout the region. And so sometimes you get this thin skin of soil on top of the limestone. 
But if there's limestone underneath, you know, the seed goes, this is the gospel, and hey, at first it looks great. Man, these people are excited. There's life. They, they want to follow Jesus. And then what happens? Something hard happens. Difficulty, pain, sorrow, struggle. You say, this is too much. I'm out. Why? Because they had this misconception that following Jesus meant that, okay, now life is just going to be gumdrops and rainbows. You know, everything's just going to be great all the time. But yet there's still struggle? And the cost of discipleship is everything? Like, this is too much. And people who used to be our friends, now they're persecuting us? Now they don't want anything to do with us? This is too much. I mean, I was excited at the beginning, but, but I'm out. And so Jesus is saying another reason why people don't believe is because of external pressures. Because of the external pressures of life. They, they had this misconception about what a relationship with Jesus would bring in this life. And so then when you know, their expectations go unmet and the pressures of the world comes and persecution comes because they're saying, hey, we believe in Jesus. Life gets hard. I'm out. This is too much. Jesus says there's a third soil. There's the, the soil with all the weeds. And the farmer, in his goodness, he throws it even there. And at first, just like the second soil, it looks like there's a chance. Look, hey, it looks like, hey, here's a little bit of life here. This looks good. Maybe, maybe this is going to make it. And then what happens? It gets choked out. And Jesus says this soil gets choked out because of the cares of the world. Personal distractions, right? You got all kinds of stuff to do. And life is busy. It's busy for us here. And it was busy there in the first century as well. And so people had, you know, you had their things to do and dreams to follow and kids to take care of and all this other stuff. And so because of the personal distractions of life, they just fall away. They stop believing. And it amounts to nothing. Why? Because they define life by their job, by their spouse, by their kids, by their dream, by something other than Jesus. Their mind's attention and their heart's affection goes to something else. And so the relationship with Jesus gets choked out. People don't believe because of personal distractions. But Jesus says there's a fourth kind of soil. There's another kind of soil. And this is important. In Galilee, as I understand it, there's no like naturally good soil, okay? It's not like you'll just kind of stumble upon some patch of land and be like, yes, this is great. This is so fertile. It's so good. This is, this is the land we've been looking for. Now, that any good soil in Galilee, as I understand, is because a farmer has worked the land, that they've gone in there and they've dug up all the limestone and they've gotten rid of it or they've taken a whole bunch of good soil and like put it on top of it. But, but more than likely, they, they dug all the rocks up. But anyway, this farmer comes and there is this good patch of soil that's been worked. And he throws the seed there. The good news of the gospel is planted there. And what happens? The roots go down deep. So you might not notice anything at first, right? The roots are going down. There's this depth of relationship that's happening. And then, boom, productivity. An incredible productivity. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times as much. And this is what happens. Now, this is important. Oftentimes, people come to this parable, and the question that they love to ask 
And the thing that preachers even love to preach on this parable is, well, what about soils two and three? Are those people really saved? Because, hey, we know that soil one is not, okay? Satan comes, boom, they're obviously not saved. We know that soil four is. We see this great productivity. But what about soils two and three? Are they saved or are they not saved? And we ask this question, right, because we all know people like this. We all know people who had this great, exciting response to Jesus at first, and so, but then they fall away. And so we wonder, are they saved or are they not saved? What's Jesus saying here? That is not the question that Jesus is answering. That's not the question he wants us to wrestle with in this parable. What he's wanting to show us is the responses to the gospel message and the response that he's looking for. And what he says I'm looking for, he makes it really clear. He's not after people who are deceived by Satan. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for people who, because of external pressures, are just going to fall away. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for people who, because of personal distractions and the cares of the world, are just going to get so busy doing other things. That's not what he's looking for. What is he looking for? People who there's this depth of relationship and there's this productivity that eventually takes place. Like even if soils two and three are saved, like the point that Jesus is making very clear here is he's not interested in running a spiritual nursery. He he doesn't want just a whole bunch of believers who just can end up in diapers, needing to be spoon fed the whole time. No, he wants men and women who will grow up into maturity through depth of relationship, who will think through, who will ponder, who will study, and then who will yield incredible fruit 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. And you know what? Any person in that society, they're hearing this message, and they're saying, well, yeah, that's what happens when you plant seed. You get 30 times, you get 60 times, you get 100. That's normative. That's not, wow, unbelievable. It's just normative. It's how life works. It's what happens. And Jesus is saying, this is how I empower my people. I empower my people for results. How, How do you know that you're his? How do you know that other people are his? It's not by a prayer they prayed, Jesus says. It's not by a hand they raised. It's not by an aisle they walked. It's not being by, because we saw them dunked in a baptismal. How do we know? By their fruit. You'll know you're his. You'll know they're his by their fruit. It's obvious. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times, that's normative. You know, my parents, they had this lime tree. It's basically underwater right now, but, but they had this lime tree. And this lime tree, I'm just telling you, it's like all these limes all the time. And so they're giving it to their neighbors. When I went down to visit, you know, a couple weeks ago, they gave me a bag of limes. They, go, they can't eat all the limes. But this is just normal. This is what happens with the lime tree. It produces limes. You can expect limes from a lime tree. What can you expect from a believer? Disciples. You can expect it. That's what you look for. And this is how you know you're his. So what Jesus is saying is, this is what I'm going to do with my people. When you study the word, when you obey the word, when you live the word, just look. There's fruit. Sometimes we look and we say, man, that's incredible. 
Jesus is saying, no, that's normal. This is what I do. I empower my people for results. But here's the point. Your productivity is determined by your receptivity. Your productivity is determined by your receptivity. Are you going to wrestle with the truth of God's word? Are you going to be receptive to it? Are you going to study it? Are you going to crave it? Are you going to devour it? Are you going to pray through it? Are you going to talk about it with others? Is it going to become normal in just the way you speak and how you live? Or does it sit on a shelf for six days a week? Or maybe you open it and you read it. I don't know what that means. Let's just next. Your productivity will be determined by your receptivity. You know, we read a story like this, and I'm telling you, it ought to jar us awake to pray that, Lord, I know that during my daily routine that I'm encountering people who their lives look dark, they look hard, but God, I see the good farmer that you are, the good God that you are, and even in these places that look so hard, that look so dark, you don't stop throwing your seed there. Even these people who are so wrapped up in the pain and the hurt of life, you throw your seed there, you preach the gospel there. God, the people who are so distracted by just running after their dreams and the cares of the world and riches and ambition and all this kind of stuff, God, you just don't just walk well, you know, they're too busy for that. No, you throw your seed there. You preach the gospel because with God, even these places that look so hard to us, that look so rocky to us, look so thorny and full of weeds to us, the gospel has a chance. God can bring fruit even there. Those places that look so hard, he can do the work. That's the thing about the soil in Galilee. You don't find any that's just naturally good. God comes and he does work in people's lives and there's results that happen even in places that we would never expect it. And so God, I'm praying that I would be receptive to your word and obedient to your word, that I would crave your word, that it would have the life-changing, life-directing, life-transforming impact that it's designed to have so that I would have productivity as I live my life. And what is normal for me is fruit. There will be no doubt. People won't have to sit around and wonder, are you soil two or three, and are you good or not? No, I'm a normal Christian, and there's fruit. Disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This is how Jesus empowered it to be. You know, we like to ask the question, are they saved? Preachers like to preach, are they saved? The point that Jesus wants to make is, I don't want to run a country club. I don't want to run a spiritual nursery. I want men and women who will grow into maturity because they will feast on the word of God and the word of God will have transforming impact in their lives. So understand, God wants to use you. He wants to use you. He's saved you for good works that he's designed just for you. But he doesn't need you. It's not like God is sitting around up in heaven saying, man, if if they would just start working, I could do a whole lot more. God doesn't choose us because he needs us. He chooses us because he loves us. And if you're a parent, you know this is true, right? That, you know, when your kids are young and everything, and do you really need their help to do anything? No. 
I mean, you ask them to clean their room and you got to kind of come up behind them, right, when they're young and you got to do everything. And can you do this? And you come behind them and you help them. Do you need them? No. But you invite them into the process because you love them. You invite them to do things because you love them. Jesus invites us to be about his work because he loves us. And so he says, hey, you're gonna look like me. I love you so much. I'm gonna conform you into my image so that you look like me. You know, sometimes we miss it. We ask the wrong questions. We get concerned. Are they saved? Are they saved? Are they saved? Are they saved? And Jesus is saying, I'm saying this for you so that you would know what you can expect in your life. The religious leaders, no. They're satanically misled. And these crowds of people who seem to be so enthralled and so excited about me right now, there's gonna be many, they just end up walking away. Hard times will come, they're gonna say, this is too much, I can't follow you. They're gonna be distracted because they just want another meal and now you're not providing it and so they're out. But you'll know they're mine because there's fruit. This is normative of the believer. If there is no fruit, the issue is always receptivity. There's no productivity if there's no receptivity. But for those of us who are receptive to God's word, you can expect great productivity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you invite us, your people, into your mission and into your work. God, that you love us enough that you just don't say, hey, sit back and watch. But God, that you empower us to do. So God, may we love others because we've been so well loved by you. May there be no doubt that when people look at Central and this church fellowship here, that there is fruit, that there is life. God, because your scriptures, because your son, give life. God, we recognize that we need your help to be this type of people, so we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.